Now is the high tide of the year, and whatever of life hath ebbed away comes flooding back with a ripply cheer into every bare inlet and creek and bay. We may shut our eyes, but we cannot help knowing that skies are clear and grass is growing. The breeze comes whispering in our ear that dandelions are blossoming near, that maize has sprouted, that streams are flowing, that the river is bluer than the sky, that the robin is plastering his house hard by. And if the breeze kept the good news back, for other couriers we should not lack. We could guess it all by yon heifer's lowing, and hark how clear bold Chanticleer, warmed with the new wine of the year, tells us all in his lusty crowing. Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Alexis and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, based on the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Now is the season of the summer solstice. Spanning from June 21st to July 7th, this season we celebrate summer in all its juicy splendor. The first leafy growth of spring has died back, while the hardier plants are now coming into stride. The fireflies are glowing in the garden, mosquitoes are biting, and all in all, we're basking in the glory of the solstice season. The season of the summer solstice is preceded by the mini-season, the time of planting grains, and followed by the mini-season, the beginning of midsummer. In our last episode, Kit and I found ourselves reveling in the splendor of a May-June garden. And honestly, on summer days like these, sometimes you don't need to stray much further than your own backyard or farmer's roadside stand to find contentment. In this delicious and food-filled episode, we explore the bounty of the summer solstice season as we celebrate the joys of backyard barbecues, picnics, and generally eating al fresco. So with the picnic basket prepared and citronella candle lit, Let's settle down and enjoy the fruit of this summer season. At very long last, the summer is here. It's barbecue time with coolers of beer. Watermelon slices for children at play, hydrants will soon be exploding their spray. Laughter is heard from the tables outdoors as merchandise beckons from neighboring stores. Business booms for my man on the street, his cart pictured with colors of great things to eat. Mangoes, papayas, and melons galore, cherries and berries, and so very much more. Yes, summer is here, it has finally begun. Let's toast to a future of days in the sun. As this poem by Jackie Meyer shows in delicious detail, summer is the time for backyard barbecues, picnics, and enjoying la dolce vita, the sweet life, outside. Whether the city or the country, there's something ritualistic about gathering up the plates and napkins, opening up the door, arranging the food, 
and seeing where the afternoon and evening will take you. Not just ritualistic, but there's a sense of timelessness to it. Sitting outdoors around a fire, watching the afternoon fade into evening. During the summer solstice in particular, I think we feel that connection to the past, as we remember the people that came before us and their connection to nature. This year, the summer solstice occurs on Sunday, June 20th, 2021. In the Northern Hemisphere, the summer solstice occurs when the sun reaches its highest and northernmost points in the sky, making it the start of summer. At the same time, although the days grow warmer, day lengths begin to shorten from this point on. Traditional celebrations for the summer solstice exist around the world, often involving bonfires, fireworks, and dancing. Certainly for many of us, Stonehenge in the United Kingdom comes to mind. Grim stones whose gray lips keep your secret well, our hands that touch you touch an ancient terror, an ancient woe, colossal citadel, of some fierce faith, some heaven affronting error. Rude built as if young titans on this wold, once played with ponderous blocks a striding giant had brought from oversea, till child more bold tumbled their temple down with foot defiant. There is another ancient festival closely linked to the summer solstice, Midsummer, which is a part of the quarter days of the Gregorian calendar. This year Midsummer is on June 24th, 2021, and it marks the midpoint of the growing season, halfway between planting and harvest. The Midsummer celebration is particularly well known in Scandinavian countries, such as Sweden or Finland, where families and friends gather together for dancing around the maypole, delicious seasonal foods, and celebrating late into the night. As writer of the beloved Moomin Valley book series, Tova Janssen wrote in Moomin Summer Madness, The sun had set, but now in June, there was of course no darkness at night to speak of. The night was pale and dreamy and full of magic. All our outdoor cooking does conjure up something more magical than primordial, doesn't it? Swedish Midsummer comes down to friends, food, and schnapps, and as far as food is concerned, it's new potatoes and strawberries that are just coming into harvest. A Swedish party wouldn't be complete without them. Usually the berries are served fairly unadorned, save for some lightly sweetened whipped cream. Delicious! This midsummer season truly is the time for berries, isn't it? In California, they've been going strong for a while, but now, even in colder climes of the Northern Hemisphere, the berries are ripening all around. Morning and evening, maids heard the goblins cry. Come buy our orchard fruits, come buy, come buy. Apples and quinces, lemons and oranges, plump unpecked cherries, melons and raspberries, bloom down cheek peaches, swart headed mulberries, wild freeborn cranberries, crab apples, dewberries, pineapples, blackberries, apricots, strawberries, all ripe together in summer weather. Morns that pass by, fair eaves that fly, come by, come by. Our grapes fresh from the vine, pomegranates full and fine, dates and sharp boluses, rare pears and green gauges, damsons and bilberries, taste them and try. 
currants and gooseberries, bright fire like barberries, figs to fill your mouth, citrons from the south, sweet to tongue and sound to eye. Come by, come by. Summertime in California can feel a bit magical like the goblin market of Christina Rossetti's poem. Everything seems ripe at once, and you might never get tired of all the different varieties of fruits in season. June and July, in particular, are big berry months. Yes, nearly all the berries, except cranberries, are in season right now. We've talked about this in other episodes, but for me, it's impossible to talk about summer without summoning up memories of berry picking. Talk about your ultimate outdoor dining experiences. We would always wind up eating as many as we would bring home. The taste of fresh berries right off the bush is heavenly. The experience of berry picking is truly a timeless one. Here's a haiku. Are these juice-stained hands mine? Or my grandmother's? Blackberry season. Wherever you are, it's likely that you have memories of your own picking berries. Berries are considered to be one of the easiest plants to forage, as they grow abundantly and tend to be easily identifiable. There's nothing like going out in the cool of the morning with your empty baskets and pails, and coming home in the afternoon with full baskets and bellies, already dreaming of baking up something wonderful. I'm often reminded of blackberry picking in particular, but of course there are many more. While blackberries and their various cultivars grow vigorously where we grew up, here on the west coast, Olala berries, Marion berries, boysenberries, they all grow wonderfully well here. In addition to those, strawberries, huckleberries, red raspberries, black raspberries, dewberries, and thimbleberries are just some of the berries in season around this time of year here in North America. If you live in England, it might be gooseberries that you think of as the typical summer berry. The complex, sour-to-sweet flavor is not to be missed. And we can't forget about the exceedingly versatile blueberry. In fact, blueberries have been enjoyed in North America for over 13,000 years. For centuries, Native Americans used these berries medicinally, as flavorings for stews and soups, and also as a dye for cloth. Even today, we still consider blueberries to be one of the healthiest berries, don't we? Even though they are tiny, they are packed with vitamin C, vitamin K, and vitamin B6. So feel free to eat lots when you're out at the blueberry bush. As a bonus, here in the United States, July is National Blueberry Month. Blueberries as big as the end of your thumb. Real sky blue and heavy and ready to drum in the cavernous pale of the first one to come. And all ripe together, not some of them green, and some of them ripe, you ought to have seen. While we're still talking about berries, it might be interesting to note that the bramble berries, like the blackberries we grew up with, Kit, are not technically berries in the botanical sense of the word, but rather they are an aggregate fruit. Oh, really? Hmm, with berry right there in the name. Who would have thought? But I don't mind. Whatever they are called, they'll always be one of my favorite summer fruits. I think we can safely consider them a summer staple. And of course, they're enjoyable to eat on their own straight from the branch. 
but many of these fruits are used in a great variety of summer desserts. That's right. Berry jams and jellies, berries and salads, berry muffins. There are so many possibilities. I especially think of boysenberries, which are grown mainly here in California, as an ideal berry for pies. The sweet, tart, aromatic boysenberries are larger than blackberries, and some would argue even more delicious if you like a bit of tangy flavor in your berries. In other places around the country, the blueberry is probably considered the more iconic pie berry. You know, berry pies are another excellent summertime treat to be enjoyed at a barbecue or picnic. We've talked about pie in episodes past. I remember rhubarb pie and pumpkin pie in their seasons, but it's a good topic to return to throughout the year. As Janet Clarkson notes in her book, Pie, A Global History, practical, versatile, universally esteemed and provided with its own edible, easily decorated gift box of pastry. Small wonder that pie still plays a feature role at many of our favorite celebrations, so much so that it is often symbolic of the very event itself. True enough. I can think of lots of events I've attended where the highlight of the meal has been the pie. And may I add tarts to this? Here's a poem about some high-stakes tarts. The Queen of Hearts, she made some tarts all on a summer's day. The Knave of Hearts, he stole those tarts and took them clean away. The King of Hearts called for the tarts and beat the Knave full sore. The Knave of Hearts brought back the tarts and vowed he'd steal no more. It might also be good to mention that we've approached pies through an admittedly American lens. Janet Clarkson goes on to write that, America has developed a pie tradition unequivocally and unapologetically at the sweet end of the scale. I think this is pretty well demonstrated by the berry pies of summer. I crave that sweetness, which pairs so nicely with ice cream at the end of a summer barbecue. Listeners, we have a number of recipes for you on our website, seasonbyseason.org, so check it out. It isn't just berries on the bush and shrub, I might add. Late June and early July is also the season for two special tree berries of the season, the June berry, often called the service berry, and the mulberry. The June berry also goes by the name shadberry, because their blooms coincide with the running of the shad, a type of fish. Lewis and Clark referred to them as service berries, or service berries. It's not surprising that the Juneberry comes in many forms. It has adapted to the varied conditions throughout its wide range. Sometimes they can look like a tree, at other times, a shrub. Here in New York City, you can find Juneberries pretty easily. The birds love them. I have yet to try one, but apparently the raw berries taste sweet like apples. But when cooked, the flavor is transformed to that of bitter almond. Oh, how interesting. Actually, I have to admit I had never heard of the Juneberry until I moved to the East Coast, and author Marie Vigelin introduced me to the most serviceable Juneberry. Listeners, if you're interested in foraged flavors, I recommend her book, Forage, Harvest, Feast. Listeners, if you want to try Juneberries yourself, we recommend you act quickly. We are nearing the end of Juneberry season. You know, the Juneberry is closely related to another fruit of the season, cherries. Here's a poem that celebrates this fruit. A handful of cherries she gave me in passing. 
the wizened old woman, and wished me good luck. And again I was dreaming, a boy in the sunshine, and life but an orchard of cherries to pluck. And life but an orchard of cherries to pluck. There's something to that, isn't there? The time of cherries, of life at its best. Here's a song that both you and I are familiar with, Alexis. Le temps de cerise, or In the Time of Cherries. We both learned about this song from the Studio Ghibli film Porco Rosso. Ah, yes. This song always makes me nostalgic. Here's an English translation of the lyrics. When are in the time of cherries, the gay nightingale and the mockingbird rejoice together. The pretty girls have folly in their heads, and the lovers sun in their hearts. When we sing the time of cherries, the mockingbirds sing far better. But the time of the cherries is very short. When we go by two, by two, to pick hanging earrings, pendants, love cherries dressed in bright red like rubies, falling under the leaves like drops of blood. But the time of the cherries is very short. Coral earrings that we pick up while we dream. As singer Annie Patterson notes on Rise Up and Sing, this song is very widely known in French-speaking countries. The song became strongly associated with the Paris Commune, during which verses were added, thus becoming a revolutionary song. The time of cherries is a metaphor regarding what life will be like when the revolution will have changed social and economic conditions. There's something wistful in this fruit, in particular. So sweet, so robust, yet with such a short season. It truly does inspire the imagination and capture time's fleetingness. It's funny, cherry blossoms are linked with that feeling of mono no aware, the transience of all things. But perhaps the cherry fruit, too, deserves to be thought of as such. I think the key to cherry season is the right amount of heat for them. They don't seem to be a fruit that can stand up to the scorching days of summer, similar to the delicate nature of the cherry blossoms. Hot weather is an apt kiko, or seasonal word, for this time of year. Kit, do you know when I can tell how it's truly summer? When I have to add ice cubes to my freshly brewed coffee in the morning. Let's enjoy the time of cherries a little while longer before the temperatures begin to rise too high. Sounds like you aren't a fan of too much heat, Alexis. Here's a poem that made me think of your aversion to heat, actually, written more than 200 years ago. A power is on the earth and in the air, from which the vital spirit shrinks afraid and shelters him in nooks of deepest shade from the hot steam and from the fiery glare. Look forth upon the earth, her thousand plants are smitten, even the dark sun-loving maze faints in the field beneath the torrid blaze. The herd beside the shaded fountain pants, for life is driven from all the landscape brown. 
The bird hath sought his tree, the snake his den, the trout floats dead in the hot stream, and men drop by the sunstroke in the popless town. As if the day of fire had dawned and sent its deadly breath into the firmament. Yeah, I would say the deadly breath of firmament is here in the city. And it seems like another dry summer for you too on the west coast. Yeah, but you know, some fruits do like heat just a bit more. Plums, for example, ripen nicely on warm days. In our winter episodes, we discuss the importance of the plum and cherry blossoms, especially around the Lunar New Year. But you know, the fruit themselves are important as well. In Chinese mythology, immortals fed on plums to enhance their vitality. In Bulgaria, they are an especially prized fruit. I think in regular supermarkets here in the United States, the common plums are simply black or red. Yet, there is so much diversity within the plum world. For example, there is the damson, the prune plum, the green gauge, the mirabelle, victoria, or golden plum. Not to mention the ume plum of Japan, which is technically more of an apricot. As long as you're mentioning apricots, may I go on a brief apricot tangent here? They're one of my absolute favorite fruits, regardless of the time of year. Oh, I didn't know you were such a fan. Like plums and cherries, apricots are in the prunus genus, and they also do well in warm, dry climates. Here in California, June and July are considered the best months for buying apricots. Ripe apricots are succulently sweet like nothing else I've found. Writer Diane Ackerman, in her fabulous poem, The Constellation of Apricots, writes that sense ravishing apricots are somewhere between a peach and a prayer. And I agree. Wow. I had no idea you felt so passionately about apricots. Unfortunately, I think many people's perception of apricots is sullied because they've only tried canned or dried varieties. These fruits are delicate and don't travel well, and there's a saying that goes, the farther you are from the tree, the more disappointing the apricot. So if you get a chance to enjoy a juicy apricot picked fresh from the tree, you absolutely must. You know, Kit, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the apricot is, quote, the oval orange-colored fruit of a temperate zone, Prunus armeniaca, resembling the related peach and plum in flavor. End quote. Resembling the peach and plum in flavor? I don't know about that. Well, certainly every fruit has its own unique charm. There is something uniquely apricot-y about the apricot, of course. Yes, and just because apricots are one of my specific favorites doesn't really mean I think any less of plums. Plums are great too. Aren't they? And like apricots, the sensation of biting into a juicy, cool plum on a warm summer's day is something really extraordinary. They're similar, but both are special. And I think both can work well in sweet and savory dishes. Oh, definitely. Have you ever had cooked plums at a barbecue or used them in a barbecue sauce? Incredible. That sounds like it could be another good recipe to share with our listeners. For sure. So listeners, please do check the website. Meanwhile, plums will start ripening now and will last into summer and even October with varieties such as the beach plum and the damson. We could eat plums for months at a time. Now that I think about it, my summer lunches often consist of a plum or two. 
The cherry plums are a particular favorite of mine. They seem to travel well. It's not just eating plums raw, but also processing them for preserves, pickles, and even alcohol. In Japan by this time of year, many houses have large glass containers with red lids, filled with white alcohol and soaking plums. They are making umeshu, or plum wine, picked from green plums from earlier in the season. Plum wine making complete. A cat arrives. Aging plum wine made for someone. In her pajamas, Mom shakes the plum wine bottle. Although it is possible to make umeshu from ripe plums, green plums are the tradition in Japan. It is said that you should wait at least six months to enjoy your freshly brewed wine. I made umeshu from scratch one time. It was so delicious. I have to admit, it was much better than store-bought. Then again, maybe I always bought the cheap stuff from the store. Well, it may be too early to break into this year's brew, but many people in Japan enjoy the flavors of last year's umeshu around this time of year with an ice cube or maybe some sparkling water thrown in. It's getting to be that time of year when we just crave cooling things. Cooling things feels like a familiar kigo for this time of year. William Cullen Bryant's Midsummer poem sees trout floating dead in the hot stream. Very grim. But I think going fishing at the lake is one of those cooling activities people enjoy in the summertime. That phrase, gone fishing, does carry with it a sense of carefree summer days. Have you gone fishing, Kit? Well, I used to spend summers in Minnesota, a state that prides itself on being the land of 10,000 lakes. It seemed like almost everyone there lives by a lake and spends time there during the summer. My mom took me fishing, once, but I was sort of squeamish about having to clean and eat the catch. The eating part wouldn't have been too bad if I hadn't had to look the poor fish in its eyes first. Oh dear. If you were worried about that fish's soul, then maybe this is the poem for you. Fish fly replete in depth of June, dawdling away their watery noon. Ponder deep wisdom, dark or clear, each secret fishy hope or fear. Fish say they have their stream and pond, but is there anything beyond? Ah, I wonder if fish really do spend their time wondering about such things. It seems to me that this is the sort of thing that humans find themselves thinking about during all that quiet time while fishing. You're right. All that said, I do see the appeal of fishing. Even if you don't catch anything, it's nice to sit out in nature and listen to the water. It's an excuse to enjoy the outdoors. And the joy of bringing home a fresh catch to share is one I understand too. Grilling fish at a beach cookout or barbecue is a pleasure almost anyone can enjoy. Spending time at a lake or reservoir, fishing or not, seems like a nice, cool summer pastime. And talking about those barbecues and cookouts brings to mind not only grilled fish, but especially hamburgers, hot dogs, and other meats for the grill. And yes, definitely pie and ice cream for dessert. But I don't want us to forget about the ever-important summer vegetables. 
all that hard work in the garden this spring is paying off at this time of year, and vegetables are flourishing. Fresh vegetables add color, variety, and refreshment to any summer spread. June and July are fabulous months for eggplant. You may also know them as aubergines, and you'll find them in abundance at this time of year. In a water basin, they nod to each other. Gourds and eggplants. Kneading eggplants, purple on salt remains, like light after the sunset. The standard eggplant has the familiar egg shape and a glossy, deep purple skin. There's also the smaller, elongated Ichiban eggplant, a Japanese variety which tends to have a more delicate flavor. These eggplants are ideal for roasting. Eggplants are tremendously versatile. In Japan, they're called nasu and served in many ways. There's eggplant soup, nasujiru, pickled eggplants, nasuzuke, grilled eggplants with miso, shigiyaki, and popular barbecues, yakinasu. Here in the West, it seems eggplants are more relegated to well-known dishes like ratatouille and eggplant parmesan. But did you know that eggplant is actually fantastically easy to barbecue? You can grill it, then chop it up with onions, garlic, and mayonnaise, or add it to a skewer with tomatoes, onions, and bell peppers and grill it that way. Check out the recipes on our website for more ideas on how to incorporate eggplant into your next summer cookout. Another vegetable that will add flavor to your summer table is the humble cucumber. In his playful poem, Poem with a Cucumber in it, Robert Haas describes the dark green skin and oval green flesh of cucumbers. There's a reason we have the phrase cool as a cucumber. They're a deliciously cooling vegetable. Cucumbers grow prolifically, especially in early summertime. They are excellent when enjoyed straight off the vine or their cool, crisp texture is perfect for tossing in salads. While we're talking about cooling foods, I want to go back to something very cold and very delicious that we mentioned earlier. Chilled apricots? Just as sweet. Ice cream! Ah, it's true, it would be hard to talk about summer cookouts without at least mentioning ice cream. Did you know that the average American consumes about 12 pounds of ice cream per year? It's a very popular treat year-round, but I think we especially crave it in the summer. Twelve pounds? That's easy! It will go nicely with all that berry pie I'm planning to enjoy this summer, too. Don't get too carried away. But while we're on the subject, in addition to it being National Blueberry Month, July is also National Ice Cream Month. We have a pretty delicious month to look forward to. Say, Alexis, do you ever top your ice cream with honey? I have to say, ice cream on its own tends to be sweet enough for me. I can understand that. As you know, I've always had a sweet tooth. I don't know why, but honey on ice cream is delicious to me. I think I eat more honey in summertime, too. Honey is a unique food that is naturally suited for long-term storage, so it can definitely be enjoyed year-round. Many people like adding honey to hot drinks when it's cold. But what about honey makes you think of summertime specifically? Well, it must be the bees. The parent bee, its honey being stolen, buzzes near. In Japan, honeybees, or mitsubachi, 
are actually a kigo for spring, when we see bees again after winter. These spring bees are symbolic of the joy of life starting anew. However, not just in spring, but throughout the year late into autumn, bees are a familiar sight in any garden. When plants are in full bloom, you're sure to see bees buzzing from one blossom to another, pollinating as they go. Yes, as Elizabeth Lawrence wrote, the hum of bees is the voice of the garden. Bees tend to be most active in summer when everything is flowering. Well, I say bees tend to be when actually there are over 20,000 species of bees in the world, and many of them have different behaviors from one another. As humans, we owe a lot to the honeybee. There are cave paintings in Valencia, Spain that depict honey foragers collecting honey and honeycombs from beehives, which suggests that humans have been collecting honey for at least 9,000 years. Aside from producing honey, honeybees pollinate approximately 25% of all food that humans consume. Bees truly are amazing creatures. We could probably dedicate a whole episode to talking about bees, their sociality, and all the work they do. Hmm. Maybe someday. For now, as we're discussing the summer solstice season, we should discuss something important about bees and picnics. You should know that bees, honeybees, and bumblebees are not the ones you need to worry about joining your picnic table. That's right. I used to be afraid of bees. All bees. Because when I was little, I was once stung by a wasp. This was unfair to the bees, I think. Bees and wasps are different insects. While bees may be curious on a warm day, they probably won't be too attracted to your picnic lunch outside. They are not aggressive and will not sting unless they feel threatened. Wasps, on the other hand, are attracted to meats and sweets and can be a real nuisance to outdoor dining. They can get aggressive and also sting multiple times. You can tell the difference between a bee and a wasp by looking closely. Bees have wide bodies, stout legs, and appear a bit furry. Wasps have narrow, longer bodies and are smooth instead of furry. We should point out that wasps aren't actually bad insects. They have an important role to play in the garden to control pests. Just be mindful as you're out there enjoying your picnics and barbecues. And try to be a friend to the bees. Buzz, buzz, buzz. This is the song of the bee. His legs are of yellow, a jolly good fellow, and yet a great worker is he. In days that are sunny, he's getting his honey. In days that are cloudy, he's making his wax on pinks and on lilies and gay daffodillies. In columbine blossoms, he levies a tax. Buzz, buzz, buzz. The sweet-smelling clover he humming hangs over. The scent of the roses make fragrant his wings. He never gets lazy, and weeds of the meadow some treasure he brings. Buzz, buzz, buzz. From morning's first light till the coming of the night, he's singing and toiling the summer day through. Oh, we may get weary and think work is dreary. Tis harder by far to have nothing to do. Back onto the subject of various cold foods to beat the summertime heat, I'd like to share just one other cooling food of the season, this time a bit more savory. Namely, somen, which is a type of thin noodle traditionally served in the summertime in Japan. And specifically, I would like to talk about somen nagashi and nagashi somen, 
two delicious and seasonal ways to eat noodles. Okay, now I'm curious. How does one seasonally eat noodles? Are you talking about ingredients added to the noodles, like pasta primavera? Not quite, although the noodles themselves are considered a strong kigo of this summer season. They are extremely thin and light and delicate, and often eaten chilled with ice cubes. They also have an ethereal quality to them, like angel hair pasta. Okay, so soma themselves are seasonal types of noodles, but you still haven't answered my question with nagashi somen. How do you eat them seasonally? This, I think, is one of the more beautiful summertime traditions in Japan. Okay, so bear with me. Imagine a water slide outdoors. But the slide is made out of several bamboo poles cut in half. So, a small water slide that no human could ride. In the bamboo tubes runs fresh cold water. And as you watch the water slide through this tube, suddenly chilled cooked salmon noodles come gently tumbling through the current, placed there by someone upstream. Armed with your chopsticks, you catch the noodles before they slip away. Carefully, you dip them into chilled sauce you have on hand, slurping them up and feeling deliciously cold. Wow, this sounds like an amazing summer activity. It's beloved by young and old alike. After all, who doesn't like cascading chilled noodles on a hot summer day? Chopsticks float in the water, the end of the Nagashi Somen slide. Nagashi Somen, I am eating what coolness tastes like. If you don't have bamboo poles and fresh water handy, you can imitate the experience of catching noodles in a current with a machine. This is known as Somen Nagashi. Imagine a tabletop whirlpool jacuzzi, only it's cold. And basically you do the same thing. Dip your chopsticks into the current and pull out fresh chilled noodles. Listeners, if you need to see this to believe, we have posted pictures on our website of both the bamboo version and the tabletop. It's deliciously refreshing and certainly a seasonal way to eat and stay cold during this time of year. I have a very vivid memory of me at a Soma Nagashi restaurant in rural Shibane Prefecture. It was open air, looking out onto a bright green rice paddy field of late June. In between sips of mugicha, barley tea, I caught my tabletop solman. Almost like fishing, I suppose. Maybe this is my version of gone fishing? Well, it was certainly atmospheric. In the background was the sound of cicadas. Ah, cicadas. Another seasonal word. And you know, this year in the United States, we are already welcoming them for the summer season. Now to explore other aspects to the days and nights of the summer solstice season, let's make time for Hero's Corner, narrated by Ed von Atterkass. Short Nights, Mijikayo. I was thinking of Midsummer, and the word made me think of Shakespeare's Midsummer's Night Dream, has these lines. Swift as a shadow, short as any dream, brief as the lightning in the coliad night. This is Lysander speaking to Hermia, whose father, Aegeus, has told her to marry Demetrius, not Lysander, who she loves, and who loves her. You know the drama. This is neither here nor there, but Sei Shonagon famously opens her Makura Soshi, or The Pillow Book, by describing the part of day she likes best for each of the four seasons. So, 
In summer, it's the night. No need to mention when the moon is out, but as good as the darkness, when fireflies, many, fly crossing one another. Also, just one or two faintly flickering as they go about are lovely. When the rain falls is also lovely. Thus, for Murasaki Shikibu's colleague, the shortness of the night was not what she found enchanting about the summer, at least in this passage. But of course, everyone noticed the phenomenon early on. In Japanese poetry, the short night, Mijikayo, first appears in the oldest extant anthology of poetry, Manyoshu, or Ten Thousand Leaves, where a poet whose name is unknown lamented, even on a short night of the fifth month, when a cuckoo comes and sings, Sleeping all alone, the dawn is hard to come. By the lunar calendar, fifth month is midsummer. When you sleep alone, without the one you love, the time of night passes, however short it may be. Kaki no Moto no Hitomaro, the greatest poet of the Manyoshu era, expressed this feeling for all ages. The foot-dragging copper pheasant's tail, drooping tail. As long, a long night, I must sleep alone. This poem employs two poetic devices ancient poets devised, epithet and introductory. Ashibiki no, foot dragging, was used as an epithet for yama, mountain, the first half of the word yamadori, mountain bird, for which they've come up a copper pheasant in English, a pheasant characterized by a long tail and the first half of the upper hemistich of this tanka was used as an introductory phrase to introduce the word nagashi, long. Anyway, I digress. Nagayo, long night. Nagakiyo, night that's long. Yonaga, night is long, are supposed to represent autumn, not summer. To go back to the earlier anonymous poet's poem, the shortness of the summer night is expressed in two different ways, directly as mijikayo, and indirectly as daybreak is slow or hard to come. The reverse of the latter, the daybreak comes quickly, is also used. And the same thing can be expressed in other ways. For example, Kiyohara no Fukayabu has this poem in the Kokinshu, first of 21 imperial anthologies of poetry, that is, those compiled by orders of an emperor. In the summer night, while still in evening, the dawn breaks. Where in the clouds is the moon staying? The poetic conceit behind this is that the dawn has arrived before the moon has reached the west and set. The monk poet Saigyo, who lived from 1118 to 1190, introduced a notion likely to strike American readers as unfamiliar and novel, only because bamboo is not as common in daily life in this country as it is in Japan. The summer night is close, as between leafy bamboo nodes, as quickly, as soon, the day has grown light. Haiku abounds with short night and its variations. Busan wrote a dozen pieces that are likely to strike you as very haiku-esque. Short night. Atop a hairy caterpillar, drops of dew. Short night. Among the reeds flow the bubbles of crabs. And here's one about uh, Akiyasushi. The day readily breaks, 
also by Busan. Day readily breaks tonight, lightning flash, assured unsheathed. There are two haiku on The Short Night by my friend Ono Yoko, whose haiku nom de plume is Marina. The first comes with a preface, staying in an onsen inn and unable to sleep. Short Night. The river sound becomes, before long, the sound of rain. Uh, the other one comes with a short explanation. Around two in the morning, there was an earthquake of magnitude six. Enjoy the short nights till they begin to grow longer. Hito reminds us of a classic to our Midsummer Madness season, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Throughout this episode, you've been hearing occasional excerpts from the work by composer Felix Mendelssohn on this theme. To me, this music recollects a summer evening aglow under a full moon. And the full moon for the month of June is quite seasonally named, being known as the Strawberry Moon. It will appear on June 24th, 2021, just at the beginning of this mini-season. A full moon seems like a sweet note to end on. Tis moonlight, summer moonlight, all soft and still and fair. The solemn hour of midnight breathes sweet thoughts everywhere. But most, where trees are sending their breezy bows on high, or stooping low, are lending a shelter from the sky. And there, in those wild bowers, a lovely form is laid. Green grass and dew-steeped flowers wave gently round her head. Thank you for joining us as we explored a delicious day during the season of the summer solstice. This season, some of the Kiko, or seasonal words we explored were the summer solstice, midsummer celebrations, barbecues and picnics, berry season and berry picking, blackberries, blueberries, berry pie, juneberries, mulberries, cherries, plums, apricots, plum wine, fishing, eggplants, cucumbers, ice cream, honey and honeybees, Somen Nagashi and Nagashi Somen, Cicadas, Short Nights, and the Strawberry Moon. Listeners, what are some other seasonal words you associate with this mini-season? Email your Kiko to our brand new email address, seasonbyseasonpodcast at gmail.com. Or feel free to leave a comment on our Facebook page. By the way, have you seen our new website yet? Check it out at seasonbyseason.org. 
a special permanent seasonal home for this podcast. On this episode, you heard poems and prose by James Russell Lowell, Jackie Meyer, Catherine Lee Bates, Christina Rossetti, Kit, Robert Frost, Wilfred Wilson Gibson, Jean-Baptiste Clement, William Cullen Bryant, Muruyama Furusato, Nihei Yoko, Sunoko Tamura, Rupert Brooke, Yosa Buson, Yabuki Nobuhiko, Isa, Marion Douglas, Hako Yokoyama, Yamada Yoshiyuki, Junzo Yoshida, and Emily Jane Bronte. The poems featured in this podcast are in the public domain or used with permission from their creators. We would like to thank our poetry readers for this episode. Lynn Hickman, Bernabe Ted Castellis, Carl Smith, Cyrus Lanthier, Alan Coyne, Adam Gordon, Alexander Michelson, Chris Whitaker, Jackie Meyer, Rita Andy, and Nikki. We would like to extend a special thanks to Hiroaki Sato for his segment, Hiro's Corner, and to narrator Ed Von Atterkass. Also, listeners, don't forget about our Spotify companion playlists. Kit and I select various songs for the mini-season, the summer solstice, featuring the Kiko we have explored during the episode, or conjuring up feelings this episode brings. Search for Season by Season on Spotify, or access the playlists from our website. This season's playlist included songs by Sky Zents, Runfell, Paul Simon, Nowhere Man, and A Whiskey Girl. And much more. Thanks again for joining us for this feast of summertime. To quote Harper Lee, summer was everything good to eat. We're wishing you a delicious and carefree season. And please join us again for our next episode, where things really warm up. It's the mini-season of blistering heat. See you in another season.